Well, good morning. How are you all today? Good. Well, welcome to TBA. My name is Dave Shive, and I am one of the pastors here on staff at TBA, and we're so thankful that you have chosen to come and worship with us, worship with us this morning. If this is your first time here, uh, we especially want to say thank you for coming out and being with us this morning. I hope that you've been made to feel very welcome, and I hope that you enjoy your time with us today. We are week two in our new series called Friending, and I want to take some time and go back and review a little bit about what Brian Stiverson talked about last week, because I think it's real important for us to understand these concepts, plus it'll help us launch into what we're going to be talking about today. If you were here last week or if you weren't, Brian talked about the importance of close friendships in your lives. And he asked you to list your five closest friends. How many of you were able to do that? See, for some of us, that might have been easy to do, to list five really close friends. But for a lot of us, it was probably very, very difficult for us to list five really close friends that we have. And that's because there's a shift happening in our culture. As a society, we are becoming more and more disconnected from real, authentic relationships. Relationships that go beyond the surface. Relationships that are close and intimate and long-lasting. And even though that we have the technology to be the most connected generation of all time, deep down inside of us, we know that there's something wrong, that there's, there's something missing inside of us. And it's because we're living in relational poverty. And Brian, he talked about three types of poverty last week. There's financial poverty, and we all know what that is. And then there's spiritual poverty. It's where you have all the physical wealth in the world, but yet you're spiritually empty. You're bankrupt, and you have no eternal hope in life. And then there's relational poverty. That's the lack of true relationships with others. And there are a number of things that contribute to this. One of them is just the busyness in our lives. We are the busiest people in the world. And we don't take the time to establish those deep friendships because a deep friendship does take time. It takes a lot of time. You have to have time invested in somebody and and able to be open and vulnerable with that person. It takes time to build trust. Trust doesn't happen overnight. It takes time. So we're so busy we don't have the time to make those kind of friendships. Another factor is mobility. We're always on the move. I think the average person only stays in one place about five to seven years. And because of those two things, busyness and mobility, it makes it it really hard for us to have those deep friendships that we need. But another thing that he talked about last week, which is something that's really kind of taken us by surprise, is the rise in social media. See, social media is redefining and changing the way that we look at friendships. See, friends are now just a photoshopped selfie picture. Friendship is defined as pushing a like button on a post. And it's changing the way that we interact in relationships. See, we can have 700 Facebook friends, but we have nobody we would actually call a very close friend. And believe me, there's no place that I see this more prevalent than with our teenagers. Have you ever seen this before? If you've not seen it before, come and hang out with us at youth. Because you'll see it a lot. I see it all the time. I've worked with teens over 20 years. And in that time, I've seen technology come into their lives. And it's had a very dramatic impact on their lives. 
And it's not necessarily for the good. See, I think, I believe we're raising a generation of kids who don't know how to articulate their feelings or their emotions because they communicate in four-word sentences and they communicate emotions with emoticons. That's how they communicate. See, a text can't replace the interaction skills that a, a, a teen needs and interaction skills that a teen learns when they do it face-to-face with other people. See, teens today, they don't know how to resolve conflict because their whole lives are on a stage for everybody to comment on. Now, I could do a whole message on the dangers of social media, but that's not what we're talking about today. And don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that social media is bad. It's not. I'm not saying that technology is evil. It's not. It's actually amoral, which means it's not moral or immoral. It's actually neutral. It's just how we use that technology that determines whether it's good or bad. And the point I'm really trying to make, and the point that that Brian made last week, is that because of, of things like social media, because of the busyness in our lives, and because of mobility, we have become a generation that has found ourselves in relational poverty. And that's not a good thing. As a matter of fact, it's a very serious issue. It's an issue that literally is a matter of life and death. And yes, I said it, life and death. I know it doesn't seem like that, but the truth is, it is a matter of life and death. And God said this, he said this in Proverbs 13. (coughs) And Brian shared it with you last week. But I want to share the message version with you this week. It says, become wise by walking with the wise. Hang out with fools and watch your life fall to pieces. One of Brian's main points last week was this. Show me your friends, and I'll show you your future. Show me your friends, and I promise you, I will show you your future. And this is really kind of our overall point of the whole message series, the whole friending series that we're doing. If you show me your friends, I'll show you your future, meaning the people that surround you, the people that are in your life, the people that influence your life, these are the people that are determining your direction, pushing you down different paths, And depending on the type of people you have in your life, depending on the type of people pushing and influencing you will determine where you end up in life. And that's what we're really going to focus on today. What type of people do you have in your life? What effect do your friends have in your life? What's the effect of not having the right friends in your life? Because you see it over and over again in the lives of people, and you see it all throughout scriptures, There are people in our lives that have influence. We think our friends don't have influence on us, but they do. They have dramatic influence on us. And the truth is, is you literally could be one friend away from changing your destiny. And if you're taking notes, that's our main point. You're one friend away from changing the course of your destiny. Let me show you what I mean. If you've got a Bible, open up to Acts chapter 9. And I want to show you how the trajectory of Paul's life was changed by one single friendship. And we're going to start in verse 26. And it says this, When Saul arrived in Jerusalem, he tried to meet with the believers, but they were afraid of him. They did not believe that he had truly become a believer. See, Saul, and that was his name before it was changed to Paul, Saul was known as the chief persecutor of Christians. Not only did he persecute Christians, but he killed them. And even though... He was a Christian now because he found Jesus on the way to Damascus. They didn't trust him. 
And you can understand why they didn't trust him. I mean, Paul's coming and going, hey, I'm a Christian now, I just want to preach. And they're going, hey, you killed a bunch of us last week, we really don't want you to preach. But look what happens in the next verse. Barnabas brought him to the apostles and he told them how Saul had seen the Lord on the way to Damascus and how the Lord had spoken to Saul. And he also told him that Saul had preached boldly in the name of Jesus in Damascus. So Barnabas puts his whole credibility on the line for Saul and he stands up for him. And he tells the apostles, listen, I've seen Paul in action. He really is okay. He really is a follower of Christ. And he's been preaching about Jesus the whole time. And look what happens in verse 28. So Saul Saul stayed with the apostles, and he went around Jerusalem with them, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. You see, God used one person, Barnabas, to change the course of destiny in Paul's life. Now Paul wrote over half of our New Testament, and he has impacted literally millions and millions and millions of people. And the course of history was changed because God used one friend, one friend to change the course of his destiny. So I want to talk to you today about three specific friends that you need to have in your life. And I'll bet, I'll bet that almost every one of you will see at least one type of friend that you are missing from your life. So if you're taking notes, you can write these down in your handout. Here's the first one. You need a friend who makes you better. A friend who makes you better. And what I mean by that is, who is that person in your life that sees your potential and works to bring the best out of you? Who's that person in your life who's helping you to be a better parent, a better employee, a better spouse, a better follower of Christ? Sometimes we use the term mentor. But what a mentor, for me, that picture of a mentor brings the picture of an old person instructing a younger person. And while that is usually the case, it isn't necessarily about age, but it's more about wisdom. Who has wisdom and knowledge in areas of your life that you lack wisdom and knowledge? And are you allowing them to speak into those areas of your life? Or do you think you already have it all figured out? See, we need those people. We need those people who have wisdom and knowledge to instruct us in the things that we don't know about, especially when it comes to spiritual matters. See, that's God's plan. God's plan is for us to make disciples of each other, to bring out the best in each other. Proverbs 27 says this, As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. Let me show you an example in Scripture. And we're going to stick with Paul here. Um, Paul had an impact on a lot of people. But he had a very special friendship with Timothy. And Timothy was Paul's disciple. And he was his friend and he was his co-worker. And actually by the time 1 Timothy was written, he had been with Paul for about 15 years in ministry. And he was his constant companion. He was with Paul in Corinth. He was sent to Macedonia by Paul. He accompanied Paul on his return trip to Jerusalem. He was with Paul when he wrote most of the epistles. Timothy had a special place in Paul's heart, and he called him his son of faith. And he frequently served as Paul's troubleshooter, being sent to the churches of Corinth and Thessalonica and Philippi and Ephesus. And it's while Timothy is in Ephesus that Paul writes this to him. 
Paul says to them, he says, Timothy, my son, I'm giving you this command in keeping with the, pro- the prophecies once made about you, so that by recalling them you may fight the battle well, holding on to faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected and so have sh- suffered shipwreck with regard to the faith. Command and teach these things. Don't let anyone look down on your youth, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. See, I believe that Paul was more than just a mentor to Timothy. He was a friend. He was a friend who encouraged him. He was a friend who spoke wisdom over his life. He instructed him. He guided him. He helped bring out the best in Timothy. And even though Timothy was young, Paul saw what God saw in him. And Paul helped Timothy reach his spiritual potential. And Paul trusted Timothy enough to let him even pastor the church at Ephesus. Now we don't know how long Timothy stayed at Ephesus, but tradition says he was there at least 20 years pastoring that church before he was martyred. So you need a friend in your life who's going to make you better, who's going to bring out the most in you, who's going to bring out what God sees in you, Who is that person in your life? You need a friend who will make you better. And you also need a friend who you can call at 3 a.m. A friend you can call at 3 a.m. See, David and Jonathan were friends like that. If you know the story of David and Jonathan, they had a very close friendship. They had a bond that went beyond family allegiances and titles. You see, God had rejected Saul as the king of Israel when Saul disobeyed the Lord. And he had Samuel go and anoint David as the next king. But the time wasn't right for David to take the throne yet. And so David remained in Saul's service. And during that time in Saul's service, David and Jonathan, and Jonathan is Saul's son, David and Jonathan became very close friends. In fact, 1 Samuel says that, J- that Jonathan loved David as much as he loved himself. But Saul, he became really jealous of David. Because everybody liked David. See, God had given David victory over victory over victory in battle. To the point where crowds were singing songs. They were singing a song that said, Saul has killed his thousands, but David has killed his ten thousands. And soon Saul plotted to kill David. And you see over and over again in the story that Jonathan stands up for David. And he tries to convince his father that David isn't a threat to him. But Saul won't listen And his anger and his jealousy, they get to a point that he actually throws a spear at Jonathan, his own son, when Jonathan was defending David. And so Jonathan goes out to warn David and he tells him, he's like, dude, you got to go. You got to run. You got to flee. My dad's going to kill you. And they make an oath with each other, affirming their friendship. And then David goes on the run. He takes off. And he goes to a town of Nob. And he goes to the priest there for aid. And the priest doesn't know that Saul is after David. David's request isn't unusual because he's well-renowned in the area. And so when Saul finds out that the priest helped David, he goes to the town of Nob and he kills not only the priests, but he kills the whole town. He kills every woman, every man, every child, every animal. He literally destroys the whole town because the priest helped David. And David, of course, he finds out this, and he flees to Horash to hide in the desert. 
And now you have to understand where David's at. He's extremely fearful. I mean, he's just seen Saul destroy and wipe out a whole village. And it's at this point in his life that David writes some of the most heartfelt psalms when he calls out to God for rescue and strength. Because his whole world, this whole world's falling apart. And he doesn't understand what's going on. See, he was anointed king. And now everything is in danger. His life is in danger. And at his most fearful, God uses Jonathan to strengthen and encourage David. Look at what it says in 1 Samuel. He says, and, soon, and Saul's son Jonathan went to David at Horash, and he helped him find strength in God. He helped him find strength in God. And he said, don't be afraid. My father Saul will not lay a hand on you. You will be king over Israel, and I will be second to you. Even my father Saul knows this. So the two of them made a covenant before the Lord. And then Jonathan went home, but David stayed at Horash. You have to understand the risk that Jonathan was taking here. See, he could have died. If Saul would have found out that he had gone to aid David, he would have most likely killed Jonathan for doing it. But the bond between the two of them was a true bond of friendship. Jonathan was going to be there for David no matter what. Jonathan was going to be there in David's time of need no matter what. And Jonathan was a friend you could call at 3 a.m. So who is the Jonathan in your life? Who is that person that you can call at any time when tragedy hits? And know, and know that they're going to drop everything and come and be at your side to encourage you, to help you find strength in God. See, that's why I say that having these types of friends are a matter of life and death. It was a matter of life and death for David, and it will be for you as well. See, because all of us are going to face those tragedies in life. We're going to face those times when the world feels like it's just turned upside down and falling apart. It's not a matter of if that time will come, it's a matter of when that time will come. And you have to have people in your life who are going to be there for you when you go through those tragedies. And you can't wait to do that later. You have to build those friendships now. So who do you have in your life that will make you better? Who do you have in your life that you can call at 3 a.m.? And finally, who do you have in your life who will tell you the truth. A friend who will tell you the truth. Let's fast forward in David's life for a minute. David was known as a, God, as a man after God's own heart, and God was pleased with him. And then he took his eye off the Lord, and he put his eye on Bathsheba, and he committed adultery. And he tried to hide what he did by killing Bathsheba's husband, Uriah. And he broke the heart of God. And he really put the whole kingdom of Israel at risk with this particular sin. You see, David didn't see the gravity of what he had done. He didn't understand how this sin that he tried to cover up was not only destroying his life, but also the kingdom of Israel. And so God sends Nathan. And he sends Nathan into David's life to tell him the truth. And Nathan sat him down and he said, David, I want to tell you a story. And he says, 
Here's the story. There were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb that he had bought. He raised it, and it grew up with him and his children. It shared his food, it drank from his cup, and it even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come. When David heard this, he burned with anger against the man, and he said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for that lamb four times over, because he did such a thing and had no pity. And then Nathan said to David, he said, you're the man. You're the man, David. You're the one. You're the one who did this. See, Nathan loved him enough to tell him the truth. And suddenly David saw what he hadn't seen before. And he was broken hearted before God. You go read Psalms 51 sometimes. And you watch as David repents. Because he's broken at this point. And Psalms 51 is the prayer that he prays right after Nathan confronts him and tells him the truth. So I would ask you this. When's the last time that you've had a friend in your life who loved you enough to tell you the truth? When's the last time you had a friend in your life who said, don't go there. That's stupid. What you're going to do is, is not going to work. When's the last time you've had a friend in your life who has said, hey, that relationship that you have with your coworker, that's going to hurt your marriage. You need to break that off. Who do you have in your life that says to you, hey, those words that you're speaking, that's gossip. And you're tearing people down around you. And you're destroying people around you. Who do you have in your life that will risk the friendship? Think about that for a minute. Somebody who loves you enough that they're willing to risk the friendship that they have with you to tell you the truth. To tell you that you're headed in the wrong direction. To say the hard things to you out of love not out of judgment, because a true friend doesn't come with a soapbox. A true friend comes in gentleness and love. But out of love, they come to you and say, these things in your life, these things are wrong. And you're hurting your relationship with God. And you need to stop. When's the last time you've had a friend in your life that would tell you the truth and risk the friendship? Who is Nathan in your life? See, the truth is you may be one friend away from changing the course of your destiny. But here's the deal for us, for a lot of you. You will never become the person God wants you to be because you're relationally impoverished. And if you continue to stay the way that you are and you continue to stay isolated from deep friendships, you will never be the person that God intended you to be if you continue to stay on the surface 
and present that Facebook perfect image, if you don't allow for vulnerability in your life, if you don't allow the time to build trust in others, you will not be the person that God intends you to be. See, God designed all of us, not some of us, all of us. He designed all of us to be in community with each other. That's how we were created. We were created to be in community. And I know I sound like a broken record, and I know we say it all the time, but I cannot stress enough to you that it is imperative that you get involved in a group of people, a small group of people, that are going to be a community that does life together, that pours into one another, that serves one another, encourages one another, blesses one another, gives to one another. You have to be in a small group. It's a matter of life and death for you. You may be a few friends away from changing the course of your destiny. You show me your friends and I promise you, I promise you, I will show you your future. And for some of you, when I look at your friends, your future doesn't look so good. See, for some of you, your future is new addictions that you don't have right now. For some of you, because of your friends, your future, you're headed to a divorce that your friends are contributing to. For a lot of you, your friends are just going to lead you to more of the same. And what do I mean by that? I mean it's a lukewarm, half-hearted commitment to God. A self-centered life that's all about you, that's all about accumulating things that will never satisfy. And it's when you pursue those worldly interests and you feel empty inside of you because this life, this world, doesn't really fulfill. And you should know that deep down inside of you something is wrong, but you can't see it. You can't see it because all the friends that are around you don't have it either. And there's nobody pointing you to God. I'm here to tell you, you may be one friend away from changing the course of your destiny. You may be one friend away from having the marriage you've always wanted to have. You may be one friend away from becoming the parent that you could always be, imparting spiritual life to your children who will grow up fearing God and serving Him faithfully with all that they have. You may be one friend away from being more generous than you've ever been in your life, both with your finances and your time. You may be one friend away from overcoming addictions that have been in your life for years. You may be one friend away from tapping into the power of what God is doing in this church and not just watching and consuming but using your God-given talents to serve somebody else for His glory and for His kingdom's sake. You may be one friend away from waking up with divine purpose and living for a higher calling. And for some of you, you may be one friend away from meeting the risen Son of God the Lord Jesus Christ, who will be a friend that sticks closer than a brother and will introduce you to a holy God who will simultaneously be the King of kings and be a friend that you never dreamed possible. You could be one friend away.
Show me your friends, and I promise you, I'll show you your future. So what do you need to do to have those kind of friends? And I'm going to ask the band to come up as I answer that. To have those kind of friends, to have that kind of friend, you have to be that kind of friend. So you can't just sit back and expect those friends to come to you. They're not going to drop in your lap. You have to start by being a friend to others. Listen, I know it sounds crazy. I know it sounds scary. And as an introvert, I understand. I do. I understand how scary it is to open yourself up to a group of people and be vulnerable. But that's what you have to do. That's what you got to do. Because see, those kind of friendships, they can't happen on the surface. Those kind of friendships... They don't happen on Facebook. They don't. They take time to build. And the best way for you to start is to join a small group. Find a group that fits you. Don't give up if the first one doesn't work out. Keep searching. God will lead you to the right group of friends. God will lead you to a place where you can build those relationships that allow you to be what God intended you to be. See, you will have those friendships that make you better where iron sharpens iron. And you will have those people you can call at 3 a.m. And you will have those people who are willing to risk the friendship to tell you the truth because they love you and they want what's best in your life and they want your life to reflect that of Christ. You could be one friend away. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you first of all that you are a friend to us. Even though, Father, we were enemies to you, even though we rejected you, God, you still loved us and you still desired relationship with us. So thank you that you made that possible through the sacrifice of your son, Jesus. God, thank you that your grace is unending. Father, my prayer is, is that we would be open to having the people in our lives that you desire to be in our lives. God, that we would have those friends that are guiding us and directing us down the path that you want us to go. God, I pray that we are friends to others as well. That even though we might have our lives full of friends, there's still somebody out there that needs us as a friend. So help us to be open to both things, God. To having friends and being friends. Lord, we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.